0: Okay, over to John 14. The title of my sermon today is Go Big! Yeah. John 14. And in verse 12, as Jesus is gathered, hunkered down in the most intimate, precious, valued meals, events the Passover, the Exodus, the Independence, the Atonement, the Deliverance God is with us in the midst of this amazing meal with his disciples. Just hours before he's going to go into a rest and to the cross for all of us. Just hours before all of this, this is the interaction that he has with his boys. And he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything, anything, anything. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. All right, that's, that's like deep waters. That's provocative stuff that Jesus says here. We're going to dig in on this. And, and actually get a bit of an appreciation of what it is, not only to go big, but first of all, as he says here, to believe big. Because this all begins with what? Everyone who believes. Then all of this flows from that. So my first point today is, believe big. Now, as we jump into that first point, there's a big question that needs to go with it. With big fonts, on a big board. And that question is, where is your faith? As you walk in here today, this beautiful Sunday morning, not so beautiful. (laughs) On this Sunday morning, here you are sitting here, gathered together, worshiping the Lord. Where is your faith? Now, if you're like me, you hear that question and you immediately start to kind of get some sort of a tachometer thing going, right? I just saw Ford versus Ferrari last night, so these analogies may come out without me even realizing. But 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 it's uh, like, ah, oh, where where is my faith right now? Oh yeah, I, I think I'm getting pretty apt right now. Like, yeah! I, I, I mean Jesus can do it, right? Rob Schneider, Waterboy, you can do it! When, when I look in your eyes and I see the enthusiasm in your in your faith, oh my god, we all can do it. This is a man, yes, let's take the hell for Jesus. That, unfortunately, has been too often the way I answer that question. Because if you think that the answer to it is something like this, then we're in the wrong game. Because Jesus answers the question Where is our faith? It's not about this, it's about this. Our faith is in Him. Where is your faith? Here's hoping. In Him is the answer. And in doing so, you know what? You won't get as many steps in in the day, but you don't have to jump up and down as much either. (laughs) It's, It's this difference between making faith about the subject or about the object. And too often, faith for most Christians out there, including us, is about the subject. How just deeply do I believe and trust run through a wall and spit nails for Jesus because I'm just so amped and jacked about Jesus let's keep it on Jesus but let's not see how hype that can make us but rather how secure that can make us because of the foundation in the book the reason for God there's a cool quote it says it's not the strength of your faith but the object of your faith that delivers you strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith and a strong branch. Or said another way, let's say I go go hiking with uh, Mr. Hurst right here, and you know Chris has got his you know kind of hiking gear on, and he's all about it. He's experienced, and we're kind of making our way up Humpback Rock out in western Virginia. And, and as we're making our way through, there's a there's an easy way to get across this little bit of a ravine. And, and he is kind of guiding me a little bit because I'm a newbie and he's got it going on. And, and he's like, all right, he's, he, and he counseled me, come on, Ed, if you just have like faith that you can kind of jump, hit that rock and go across. But you gotta have faith. You do this half-heartedly, ain't nothing gonna go right. And I'm like, ah, I don't know, I'm an old man, you're a young man. You know, the, the rock, the rock doesn't look so like, you know, stable to me, a bit precarious there. I don't know. I've got, I've got weak faith. Oh, help me overcome my unbelief. And, and and so I just, all right, you know what? I'm with you. I'm going to go for it. I may not be where you're at in faith. And and I certainly don't really have the faith in that rock that you have. But let's do it. And he goes, okay. But, but he goes, you know what? I, I think you can do it, Ed. I believe in you. I believe in it. I believe we're going to do it. Let's do it. And Chris jumps out skill and amazement and deep faith lands on the rock, the rock crumbles, and he falls to a hideous death, leaving body parts down the mountain all the way. And I, with my weak faith, gingerly walk around the edge of the ravine, but better to have that weak faith and a strong ledge than great faith and a bogus rock. (laughs) A story was for (laughs) illustration purpose only. (laughs) He's been healed. (laughs) It's so helpful though, when this is what Jesus wants from us. You know, you, you don't have to walk around like a carnival hype man about Jesus. You just have to, in the quiet, stability, of your convictions, know that everything rises and falls. Everything is centered on Jesus in my life. And, and while that sounds easy, it's not though, <laughs> because it means then that is really hard to It means then that you trust Jesus and Jesus alone for the center of your life. And in a world where it's very easy to gain security and stability from a lot of other things, then this actually is something that we've got to constantly be keeping in our mind. Yeah. What, what is it, though, that might sweep over your soul and tell you that, yes, you young lady, you less young man, you've arrived. You really you're somebody, it's a quote from the jerk, that you really are there. What would tell you that? Is it that you finally got married? Would that complete you? Is it that your TikTok post finally went viral? And you, now you've got cred wherever you go? Is it 10,000 subscribers to your channel? And now you really are a social media influencer? Is it that promotion to chief or manager or principal? Or whatever it is that, oh yes, then I will know that I really am who I was meant to be. Maybe it's finally having kids. Maybe it's finally having grandkids. Maybe it's those kids or grandkids making the varsity squad, graduating, going to that fine institution. Maybe that's what will finally make you feel like, ah, now I have what it is that I've always been, been longing for. Maybe it's owning a home. Maybe it's financial security for retirement. But if any of those things, and maybe there's something else that kind of speaks to your soul and, and and allows you to say, you know what? I think if that did happen, like if I finally had like a really harmonious home, if I finally had great achievement at work, if I finally had the, the, the friendships that, that are affirming, if, I fi- if any of those things make you feel like, yes, then I would have peace, well then, Sadly, your faith is not in Christ. Because Christ is not a means to an end. Christ is the end. He is the one that completes. He is the one that gives you ultimate meaning. He is the one that gives you security and stability. He is the one. He is the end of all things. There's no greater achievement for you to have on earth than to put Jesus at the center of your life. You've arrived more than any of those other Versions of success that the world peddles, Amen. because you have done something so counterintuitive so countercultural that the world if they knew would stand in awe of what it is that you have achieved and become and are identified as you trust in Jesus That's right, where you go to college where you take your next job where you buy your home with whom you spend your time. All of that is informed not by expediency, not by financial gain, but by Jesus. Why'd you end up here in Hampton Roads? Why do you have the job that you have? Why'd you go to the college that you went to? Why all of those things? I hope that if those decisions were made while you were a Christian, that the answer is, simply enough, Jesus. Because then that's a simple indication that that's where the center of my life is. Yeah. I love as a lot of our kids are looking to go to college right now. A lot of people are kind of wrestling even with different job opportunities. That the number one criterion, the deterministic criterion in all of that is, but what about Jesus? How will this most importantly factor into my life honoring Jesus? And if not, then that thing is an idol. What's an idol? It's anything. More important to you than Jesus. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything. And this is important. Hear this. Anything you seek to give you. What only God can give. Anything that you seek to give you. What only God can give. Because if your identity is in your work or marriage or kids or home or whatever. Rather than in Christ. Success will go to your head and failure will go to your heart. All of that is swept away when it's just Jesus. And so Jesus gathered around this intimate table with his guys, knowing what they're going to go through in just moments from now, knowing the persecutions and the deaths that they will endure, looks at them and says, believe in me. That's what I want from you right now. Believe in me. For me, how does he inform me and guide me and launch me into the next point, which you'll see in a moment. But for, for me, as I constantly try to keep Jesus front and center, as I constantly try to stoke my trust in Jesus, there's the arc of Jesus that is so impressive. Jesus appeared before all, entered in just moments before in chapter 12 into triumphant procession, goes into the garden just moments after this discussion here in John 12, triumphs in prayer, despite hating the idea that he's going to be polluted with my sin, but fights through it. Why? Because he loves me more than he hates the ordeal that's before him, and says, perseveres, loves you that much. And then not only triumphs over all evil, putting them to open shame, Colossians 2.15, through the cross, But then ascends on high and and will come again in triumph to bring all of this into the ultimate glory and rest and beauty that he has promised. And we're going to enjoy it always. And we live between those two appearances. Jesus who appeared then and brought about the redemption of our souls through his blood from an empty way of life and coming later. As he comes in glory, we'll meet him in the cloud. Triumphal procession will be part of it. Oh, don't you want to be in that number when the saints go marching in? Right? We live between those two realities. But here's the cool part. Why I love centering my life on Jesus is because in between those two realities, where is Jesus? Jesus is ascended into heaven and he is constantly advocating for you. Every moment of every day, he stands before the father and advocates for you again and again. You have a high priest that's got your back. Why would we center our lives on anything else? But when it's centered on that, my goodness, what it is that, that we're ready to do. When we believe big, what does Jesus say right after that? He says, if you believe in me, then you will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these, Will he do? Because I am going to the Father. Jesus is up there advocating for us right now. Jesus is up there cheering for us right now. Jesus has equipped us by sending us the Spirit. And with all of that, what is it that he says will be the consequence? That we will do. And I think we should be unapologetic for this. We will do work. His work. And matter of fact, we'll do even greater work, he says. So if we believe big... He then says, you're going to do big. No, you're going to do bigger. Bigger than even I have done. And sometimes people are a little bit uncomfortable with when it gets into doing and works and all of that. And thinking, oh, am I going to fall into a, a performance trap here and think that I've got to earn Jesus in my life? You know what? There's nothing about that in this passage. This is about you already are qualified to dare greatly and to be world changers. What is it that qualifies you? Your faith, not this faith or this faith, depending on what movie you saw last night, but the faith that is in Him. The fact that you believe in Him is your bona fide that allows you to have a license to kick down doors in the name of Jesus, like a boss, and do even greater things. Do big, do bigger. You know, there's a T-shirt I saw that kind of wrestles with this, this idea of, okay, my life in Christ, is it about being or is it about doing? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to you know kind of fall in a trap. So this T-shirt was, was kind of interesting. It had three quotes on it. The first one said, to be is to do, Socrates. The next quote said, to do is to be, Jean-Paul Sartre. And the third said, Do be do be do. (laughs) Frank Sinatra. (laughs) Who is from? New Jersey. Thank you. New Jersey. (laughs) But Jesus is stating what we all need to be reminded of work completes faith, work completes grace. Work is simply faith expressing itself through love. When we close the loop, everything is reinforced. When we leave it dangling, we get weird. And even though we've had this grace poured upon us, this affirmation that is all ours, when we do nothing with it, when we oh, all I'm gonna do is, I I don't wanna go and do stuff and thus taint the wondrous of being saved, not by my works, but by grace. When we don't do anything with it, that creates an incongruity and a lack of integrity that ultimately leads to, to, to something that psychologists have called the imposter syndrome. And that really gets you weird. To, to, to be regarded by God as, and, and, and you are no longer who you were. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of Jesus and by the very Holy Spirit of God. You are God's master. That was by the way, 1 Corinthians six eleven. You are God's masterpiece created in him to do good works that he has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Ephesians 2 10. We're not saved by works, but we're also not saved from works, but we are saved for works to do work, glorious work. Christ has chosen you. Picked you up off of the ins- insignificance heap of mankind and said that you now have significance. Your life now matters. You're part of the plan. And there is no plan B. You are the plan. And that plan is to do work, not just work, greater work. Amen. Mega. The Greek word is mega. You're going to do mega work. That's who you get to be. Thoreau said that you know, we're not to, to, to live lives of quiet desperation to spring deeply of life. That's what we get to have. Not only is our soul redeemed, but our lives are significant. What a doubling of grace. And every time you walk in it, you reinforce that very idea. Do be, do. And whenever we do, we're never disappointed. Amen. You come back from an evangelistic conversation with a neighbor or a co-worker, or a fellow gas pumper, you know, you don't come back from that saying, "Oh, oh, that was terrible." I talked about Jesus to someone, it was a stranger, and I don't know, it's it's it, it's just so dissatisfying. It left me feeling so empty afterwards. Nobody says that. Everybody comes back, hair on fire. It's all true. Jesus is Lord. He died on a tree. We're all redeemed. It's so clear. How do I not see this? It's always self-reinforcing. So why not live that life to the full? Why not live that life on purpose? It's what Jesus is calling us to here, is to do not just great things, even greater things. And you're qualified for it. Get in the game. You're more than qualified. You're not meant to do this from the sideline. You might think, oh, well, maybe those guys up there, yeah. No, every one of us. You know how you're qualified? Because your faith is in him. If that's the case, get in the game. You're more than varsity. You're all-star material. Your faith is in him. Do greater works. And then finally, believe big, do bigger. Ask biggest. Look at what he says here. Whatever, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, whatever, yes, whatever, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, anything, anything in my name, I will do it. Now I'm so convicted by the idea that God forbid that I have not because I ask not which is really just a quote from James 4 too. They have not because they ask not. You know what, after taking a quick inventory of my prayer life, I was rightfully convicted of that. We have a king who is bidding us, come to me, ask anything of me. And how small my ask is, wow. And, and I think it's also put a cap on how small my life is. John Newton, who, who wrote Amazing Grace and other hymns, also wrote these lyrics. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. None can ever ask too much. I love that idea. What are you asking for? What's your prayer list? What are you getting after? What do you want to see? Happen to Hampton Roads through you, through us. What do you want to see happen to your Bible talk? What do you want to see happen to our region? What What, what is it that you're looking for in your family? Are you asking? Are you really asking? Is this the center of your your conversation with God? Is this the excitement that, wow, look what we've been given by Jesus? Jesus just said, anything. Anything? Anything. I don't know. That seems implausible. Anything. And, you know, sometimes we become cynical to this because maybe you've asked for that anything and it hasn't come through. Maybe that family member, in fact, has died that you are asking about. You feel like, well, maybe it's too late. I I don't know. You know, it's hard to, to kind of figure all of that out. But if there's anybody who has a beef with God about this, about, wait a minute, you said to ask anything, anything, and you would do it. You know who has the biggest beef with this? Jesus. Why? L- listen to this in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 5. This, this is an astounding passage. When you look at Jesus' prayer life and what it is for which he asked. It says in, in Hebrews 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions. What's a petition? It's basically, God do this. It is a, uh, a, a supplication. God, this is what I want. So Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. He's got us there. To the one who could save him from death. What was the petition? Save me from death. That's the context. He offered up petitions to the one who could save him from death. It doesn't take a whole lot of conclusion, uh, 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 mind energy, to come to the idea that He's asking, save me from death. Here's a petition to the one who saved me from death. Save me from death. And now look at what the next verse says, or the next line says, and he was heard. What? What do you mean he was heard? And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Wow. Jesus asked clearly, and the answer from God was, I got you, I hear you. But yet, there go the nails, there goes the sword, Here comes the crown of thorns. It all came his way. Despite a petition. No, no, no. no. If it is possible, take this cup from me. He was heard. Here's your cup. He was heard. Here's your death. Why? Because God sees the big picture. For all of us. And God does enter our prayers. I think it's in the book, The Reason for God. It says, God always gives you. Oh, it's in the book, Counterfeit Gods. God always gives you what you would have asked, what you would have asked for, if you knew everything he knows. I'm gonna say that again. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. You're a piece of the puzzle. He's the dude who painted the whole picture and went at it with a jigsaw and knows how it all goes back together again. God will allow evil even in the world, apparently. As we rail at him, why not? Well, he'll allow evil only to the degree that it brings about the very opposite of what it intends, and no further. And so, in a fallen world, where everybody has agency, where we have free will, and God wants relationship, all these weird dynamics play out. But God sees it all. We see a small piece. But we still nonetheless are called to ask for anything. And know that if you have a God infinite and powerful enough for you to be angry at Him for allowing evil or not having your agenda laid out, then you must at the same time have a God infinite enough to have sufficient reasons for allowing that evil or for not allowing your agenda to play itself out the way that you think. You can rail at Him for it then he must have the juice to know what's really going on right. and to have in his infinite capacity a really really good plan in place right. so at the end of it ask boldly just ask boldly anything anything and and my goodness it, it of course says here in his name that doesn't mean at the end of your prayer in Jesus name amen It means according to His will. And you know what that means, I think, too? It means that we collectively need to be asking together. Where is it that we want to go? What is it that we want to do? How is it that we want to have an impact? We need to have that that vision always before us and asking big, with a big ask. And what is that big ask? Well, for me, I want everyone in Hampton Roads Church to be enthralled with Jesus. I mean every single person. Every single person enthralled with Jesus. In your Bible talk, want that for every person in your Bible talk. Absolutely gaga over Jesus. Studying, loving, imitating, enjoying Him at every turn. Now if we pray for that, and we ask big, well, it seems to infer that we're probably going to then be working big as well and heading towards those great things that are clearly in alignment with Jesus' will, It's clearly in His name, under His auspices, under His sovereignty, under His dominion. But then also, as we're knowing Him, that we're also a people that are making Him known. To know this greatness means that we can't help but be launched into making him known. And as a result, we are grateful and generous. Grateful and generous. Grateful and generous. That we give ourselves away just as he gave himself away for us. Give ourselves away to one another. Give ourselves away with what we have. Give ourselves away for the population in which God has placed us. Give ourselves away for Jesus and live life on purpose, on his purpose, not aimlessly. Live our life on purpose and everybody fully engaged, everybody, because when we're fully engaged, then we'll know what Jesus says in the middle of this gospel, John 10, 10. Then you will have life and have it to the full. That's what I want for everybody. And that's what I'm going to ask every day. And that's what I also ask that you would ask. Amen. That we put this clear, big ask before all of ourselves. That, that this is overriding, beautiful, and, and compelling. Everybody enthralled with Jesus. Everybody digging into Jesus. Knowing Him. Making Him known. Grateful. Generous. Give ourselves away. Living on purpose. Living life to the full. Everybody engaged. Everyone we know. And as far as it depends on any of us, that we would be then helping everyone to be engaged. And so, at the end of this church, my goodness, it's time for us to go big. You're not called to a small life. You're not called to an insignificant life. You're called to life in Jesus. If you trust in him, you lean on that, you can't help but to be launched into a life of doing bigger and asking biggest, Amen. amen.